Oh, welcome. Let me uh, let me adjust MIC. Uh, welcome to episode one ten of the Off and Beat podcast. I am unfortunately again your host, Clint Nelson. It is ten thirty four. Did that thirty four? No. Yeah, ten thirty four p.m. February tenth, two thousand twenty two. When I'm recording this, um. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, follow, put on the notification bell, and most important of all, suck some titties. And let's get it started, ha. Um, you know, when you, I was thinking about this when I'm driving past a lot of pools, open pools and neighborhoods with covers on it. Um, I think about lifeguards. One of the most underappreciated probably most underpaid profession we have it's weird to me like could you imagine like your you you take your son to you take your eight-year-old son to the pool right and they have a lifeguard there but you're just sitting there with your sunglasses on your vogue magazine texting your side boo and while your husband's at home depot uh, getting the wood ready to bring home to lay it on you. And, you know, how I mean, like, you know, beat the fuck out of you with it. Jesus, that got aggressive. Amityville. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I was thinking about lifeguards. First of all, I've never met a lifeguard that was getting paid more than like nine an hour because typically lifeguards are like 16, 17, 18 year olds. They don't really go past the age of 22. Like, it's a weird profession. It's like the definition of, like, hey, keep it young. Which, you know, surprises not a lot more of uh, illegal internal proceedings than that one. Um, we are young, and we dive deep to save your kid when you don't want to pay any attention to them. Um, but, yeah, it's weird how we, we rely on someone that's getting paid eight or nine bucks an hour. To when our kid is drowning and be like, hey, save my kid. Could you imagine if he's just like, nah, I don't get paid enough for that. Uh, you know, I I got this job because all I had to do was blow the whistle. Dun, 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 dun. And that's why your kid is too short. Ah, Jesus, Clint. Sorry. It was there to be taken. Unlike your kid who was drowning. Uh, It's weird because I was saying about... First of all, like the lifeguard with Kristen Stewart, um, banging a 19-year-old when she comes back to Staten Island, um, and it's not Pete Davidson, my friend, um, but let's just say he did, uh, give her that grande. Ah, Jesus. Anyways, back to the lifeguard. It's weird, like, how come with the profession, like lifeguarding, where the ramifications is literally saving lives? I mean, yeah, they blow the whistle sometimes in a busy pool when two kids are, when kids are horsing around getting rowdy, you know, when kids are, you know, doing flips off the side of the concrete and they're afraid they're going to decapitate their head open, but then their mom yells, hey, pizza's here, and they get over there like, well, you got Papa John's, I wanted Domino's, it's like, and then one kid, I wanted stuff, Chris, and it's like, you know what, go fuck yourself. Because you know what? Pizza tastes better outside you get out of the pool. It's like the old sandwich and Doritos. Something about Doritos tastes different. 
when your hands are wrinkly and shit. But anyways, try to stay on topic here. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure lifeguards don't have a union. You know, Amazon has a union. Uh, Kroger has a union. Grocery store. All these places have unions. Firefighters, police officers, but lifeguards. You just hire some guy that, hey, how long can you stay underwater? Two minutes, you're hired. Jesus, best in the class. Um, it's like, obviously, all lifeguards, like, I know they actually go through, like, pretty real training, even for your local community neighborhoods. Like, you know, they, they actually do go through some pretty decent training. But it, it's this weird thing. like, those are the people that should be out here striking. Guess what? Well, I don't know. Now that I think about it, like, they should go out and strike and be like, hey, if there's no lifeguards, your kids can't go to the pool. So, you know what? You'll fight for my right to pay. But then again, now most pools, it'll just have a sign, no lifeguard on duty. You're responsible. So, every pool's like, all right, you know what? We'll just put a sign out, and we're not responsible anyways. Um, now that I'm sure, I don't know, a pool guidelines goes for OSHA. I think that's the comp- I think that's like the HOA of fucking pools osha some with water um (laughs) pool man but um it's just they should be the ones fighting for more pay they're literally saving your kid's life you're trusting a 19 year old kid to dive deep to save your kid in seven foot water and honestly if they save your kid any precaution one you should tip them. Like, it's weird how we don't... I don't know. I've never tipped a lifeguard. I've never seen anyone tip a lifeguard. How come we don't tip lifeguards when they do something? I'm not saying, like, if nothing happens, like, all right, you know what? Get your base pay. Get the fuck home. But, hey, man, they saved three kids that day. One, if they save your kid, you need to take that man out to, like, Chili's or something. Give him a gift card. Tip him. You know, he literally saved your kid's life. And saving your kid's life is cheaper than a funeral service. And, honestly, which I've never kind of understood this, how come, like, with a fi- it should apply to firefighters, anyone that saves a life, even if you save a cat, you know? Why don't you get bonuses when you actually do your job, your the extreme parts of your job? It's like, I look at, like, when you work more there should be bonuses and ex- it's kind of like extended pay like here's your base pay if a day goes pretty well you know there's a couple false alarms whatever kids playing around looks like they're drowned but then they come up and say you dirty whore and talking to their sister but kids are just being kids playing around being like i'm oscar um i'm nemo and it just it's just like, geez, I really didn't think this one. Th- I did think it through, but I didn't really. Like, why don't they get bonuses? Lifeguards deserve bonuses. Um, I guess you could say, ironically, I just did a deep dive. Ah, Jesus. Taba swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. But yeah, don't piss off the lifeguard. Like, don't don't be the bitchy mom that goes that walks in. Or not even mom. I don't want class. Don't be the douchebag walks in to the pool area and just starts like looking at the lifeguard and be like, look at this lazy piece of shit. It's like, oh yeah. Well, you know what? 
We'll see who's a lazy piece of shit when your kid is drowning. Hmm. How about when your kid gets kicked in the face in the pool and blood is spurting all in there and then he can't feel his face? It's like, hey man, I'm just a lifeguard. And people always say like, you know, the biggest cop out is when someone at their job is like, hey man, I just work here. When they try to like, I guess, because it looks like they're trying to avoid responsibility. Even so, sometimes it's like, hey man, I have nothing to do with what you're complaining about. I cannot do anything about the prices. I cannot do anything about the market prices. Like, what do you want me to do? I can't be like, hey man, you know what? Since you like complain, here's 20% off your crab legs. It's like, nah. It's like, hey man, I just work here. I understand that all the time. Like, hey, if you walk in and I call you a fucking cunt ass bitch, like, I can't just be like, hey, after you start yelling, hey, lady, I just work here. It's like, no, look, obviously there's situations in quote unquote context where certain things apply better than others. Um, I just, I just feel that lifeguards deserve more and I'm here standing up. And I'm pretty sure, like, I've never seen Baywatch, but I'm pretty sure, you know, well, ironically, The Rock and Zac Efron got paid probably, like, uh, literally 10 million times more playing a lifeguard than the actual lifeguards. But shit, that's the business, the industry. Not complaining about pretending and acting and stuff. I'm just saying, damn. Nice bodies. But yeah. Uh, anyways, plowing through me. I need, I I realize I actually accidentally take like, uh, other people's slogans and slangs without realizing it just because I listen to podcasts a lot and I'll say something like plowing through when that's a Bill Bird thing or I say something like juice to the gills when that's a more plates per day thing and it just kind of, it just kind of creeps up in my system, but yeah, support the lifeguards. Um, but yeah, speaking of guarding my life. Um, you know what's really scary? This is a true story. It happened about a week and a half ago. I can't believe I didn't talk about it on the podcast yet. I was, uh, I was outside. I was, uh, I was opening my car door in my, you know, complex parking lot. Went out there, 2 p.m., middle day. It's actually like 50 some fucking degrees out. Pretty standard day these days. Um, where it's 58 degrees in the middle of the day, the next thing you know, you get out of work at 3 a.m., it's fucking 24 degrees, and there's ice on your fucking windshield. It's like, Jesus Christ, man, what happened? But anyways, get to my car, open the door, clean out some stuff out of my car, and next thing you know, I feel something on my right shoulder. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, I feel like, I don't just feel like, oh, it doesn't feel like a hand, it feels like a it feels like a little claw and pinch. I'm like, do we have flying cats out here or some shit? And I look over and it's just sitting there. I see like a little, I see like little bird claws. And I'm thinking like, I'm not mad. I'm more worried. I don't know if this is like when you see a tiger or a lion in the wild. You're supposed to stand still like a bear. You're supposed to just stand still and just hope they don't plow you and eat your booty to death. But I stayed still, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe if I stay still, whatever it is, it's just going to hop off. Hop off this train. You don't have to stop this train, John Mayer. You got to treat it like you're slow dancing in a burning room. It's kind of a weird analogy. 
I once wrote a poem about slow dancing in a burning room, not realizing there was already something made about slow dancing in a burning room. But anyways, that's what it felt like, because this was slow, and it was really burning my chest. Say it with your chest, and I pivoted my head over, and I'm like, oh, you know how I can see? Let me look into my, on my window, where my reflection. I look over, and it is this... Not big, but like a little bit bigger than a small, uh, I don't even want to say it was a hawk. It definitely wasn't just like a shitty little pigeon, pigeon, like the pendulum swing. No, it definitely wasn't a shitty little pigeon that I was like, ah, honestly, whatever it is, I'd rather this scratch my fucking face like Wolverine than to shit on my shoulder. That's what I was hoping because like, fuck. Because my day was fine. And nothing's worse when you step in shit or you get shit on you. Like when a pigeon shits on your window when you're having a decent day. I've never, I think one time I've had a pigeon shit on me. Like on my, uh, I think it was like on my pants while I was walking. I don't know how the angle worked. I don't question God's physics. Um, gravity. Jesus, John Mayer keeps coming back. The working against me. Jesus. Um. I, I'm just like, oh, fuck. I wasn't mad. I was like, all right, man. I felt like it was like a stray cat that followed you. It's like, all right, made a little friend. You want some food? I don't know. I got a little cinnamon, cinnamon twist, stale cinnamon twist I'm about to throw out if you want some. Um, but it just stayed on my shoulder. And I was walk slowly. And then it starts shaking. And it starts like, like kind of like grabbing hard on my shoulder. I'm like, all right, all right, cool, cool. So I stayed still, and I'm like, maybe if I just stay here, it'll just fly to the wayside. The bird stayed on my shoulder. It felt like 15 minutes, but it was really like two and a half minutes. Because um, when you're standing still, just looking at some time always just feels, especially when you're standing up and it's in the middle of the day. And I'm just looking at this bird. I'm like, what do you want from me? Like Adam Lehman, what do you want from me? And then next thing you know, I'm like, I want to just open my car door and slam it real quick, just so it scares the bird. But I'm like, what if I open the door and the bird flies in? I don't want a bird in my car. Ever had, like, a stray animal in your car? Ever had, like, a, what is it, like, ever had, like, a grasshopper in your car while you're driving? It doesn't scare you, but it's, like, fucking annoying. It's like, get the fuck out of here. And I just looked at the bird. And next thing you know, it just randomly flew away. And guess what I did when it flew away? I gave him the big old bird in return. Because I'm like, all of that, you just wasted my time and didn't even have an excuse to waste my time for a story to tell? You weren't thinking about my podcast? You inconsiderate fuck? Um, I don't know. I don't know, just thought that was a cool story. I don't know how many of you have, like, it It kind of felt like on Home Alone when that, what's that, the homeless lady in New York who has all the pigeons around her, and she just has them all around her shoulders and neck, and then when Marv comes in there, the pigeons just fucking all over them type of shit. Well, obviously that didn't happen. I don't even think there's enough birds in my area for that because, you know, we don't care about the environment. Um, talk about nesting. <laughs> nest worth <laughs> i guess that's how birds qual- quantify their currency hey 
What's your net worth? I wonder who's the fucking Jeff Bezos. I mention him a lot. You know what? I wonder who's like the Elon Musk or even like the fucking Steve Takai. Yeah. I want a real billionaire on you that a lot of you don't know. Like, who's the uh fucking uh shit? Jesus, why am I drawing a blank? I don't know. Like who who's like the billionaire currency of birds? What's your nest worth? <laughs> oh Jesus. Um I'm as free as a bird. What would it be like to be a bird? I honestly like free bird. And I'm pretty sure that actually doesn't really translate to being a bird. It's just a metaphor for being as free as a bird. Probably has to do with drugs. Most music you find out where it's like, oh, this is so passionate and loving and so inspirational. And it's like eight or nine minutes long from the 80s. And you realize like, oh, this is about, uh, she's only 17. And we all just sing the chorus. Hey, different times, huh? Or like, uh, what was it? Aerosmith? That like she's sixteen or uh, the police. The police literally message in a bottle is about teacher. Don't let this girl near me. Like a teacher and student fantasy. Like I forgot the exact lyrics, but that's basically it. I'm like, oh, they put down rock band guitar here. No one gave a fuck. This is crazy. The things that we're okay with. Even Nickelback. Nickelback's from like the early two thousands. And, I mean, on their Dark Horse album in 2010, 2011, basically half the album is just like a something in your mouth, sex, S-E-X, fucking, uh, Jesus. Well, definitely Lullaby is not a great example, because that's literally just like, give me one more try. Something in your mouth, you look so much cuter when you never pull that out, but you I mean, look, Nickelback, man, they got away with a lot of shit, let's be honest. They couldn't make, I mean, figure out, I like your pants around your feet. Like, that's the opening line. Maybe one of the greatest open lines in the history of music. Because it's like, hey, you know what? I, I studied the, uh, I, I kind of, by listening, I've been on Nickelback binge. I know I mentioned this last episode, but I didn't really get into it. I'm going to get a little bit into it. I understand what people say when, all Nickelback songs, or at least most Nickelback songs, sound the same. Especially their radio hits type of thing. Is that the first line of every song just dives right into it. Like, there's no, we're gonna butter you up in this story. Like, no. Nah. The first line, you know exactly what this song's about. You don't have to wait till the chorus. The first line literally tells you everything. You know, they say like one line speaks a thousand. That's not the exact same, but you know, you get the gist. It's like, put like this, I like your pants around your feet. How the hell do we wind up like this in someday? He's basically like, how the fuck did we get here? And you're like, hmm, I want to know how the fuck did you get here? I want to know why. I want to know how your pants got around your feet. I want to know why, uh... This time, this place, misuse, mistakes. It's like, damn, get into it. I miss you so much, so I begged you to fly in and see me. It's like, oh, this guy's like getting into it. He was like ahead of flying girls out before it was a thing. Except he's probably flying them over to like, you know, 
New Jersey, while he's on concert. I miss you so much, so I beg you to fly in and see me. I never made it as a wise man. I'm just speaking first lines of song, and they are killer openings. But then, I studied further. The chorus is pretty repetitive on a lot of these songs. Okay, cool. Um, the bridges are always repeating parts of the chorus, and they strip down the instruments to essentially none the focus on his voice. And then he always has that one part in the song where he's just like, ah! And it's like, yeah, that's the part you wait for. So when people say it, I actually kind of get what they're saying. But here's what I would say to you about... Or like photo, look at this photograph. And now that's like a meme for a lot of different reasons. Um, but look, here's what I would say to people who say that. Yeah. You know why artists' songs sound the same? Because he wrote all the songs. Like, I actually even looked it up and I'm thinking like, huh, maybe, you know, for typically for commercial mainstream music, for some reason, there's a lot of other writers writing uh, their music. It's like, this was like back in the day where basically you wrote your own shit and it was kind of weird if you didn't. Now go back, essentially, especially during their hits, which maybe that's where some, maybe they start collaborating too much. But the lead singer and the group, you know, a couple people, they all just wrote their music. And when you write your music, yeah, with your voice, you're going to have a structure in a song. When you follow structure, a lot of things are going to be repetitive and sound the same. But Nickelback is the Drake of rock music. One, they're Canadian. I know. Based on, like, I hate when people say, oh, well, they're both from here. But in this case, it's kind of relevant because they're huge in America. And they're both like the biggest selling artists in their genres the biggest touring artist, the biggest selling, and heavily criticized by not only in their field, but just the casual listener. Like when people say, oh, Drake is for uh, Drake is for preteen girls who, whatever, like he's toxic. Well, Nickelback has some toxic songs. I mean, they have songs about, meh, consent. I mean, you know, there's only a song in a... There's literally a couple lines and figured you out. And like, look, if you take the song and literally think like he's doing somewhere, he's like, I like when you pass out on the deck so I can put my hands around your neck or I love my hands around your neck. He's like, yeah, he's basically saying, yeah, look, you're knocked out whether you're drunk as fuck or drugged out. And when you're knocked out, I put my hands around your neck. I'm going to say probably, and that's why rock music today is really irrelevant. Like, think about, you say what you want about Nickelback. Oh, their songs, they're this and that. You can't say that when it comes on, that you don't listen. I think we got to be able to, this whole like Nickelback's, like that that storyline is outplayed. I think for the most part, I'm not saying there's not substance. If you don't like him, you don't like him type of shit. But one thing you can't deny, you can't deny that there's a appeal, there's a success in their structure of how they do their music. And of course it's going to be repetitive when you actually do your own shit. Typically one person is going to have a very similar look on a lot of things. That doesn't mean they can't grow as artists. But I appreciate it 
and they actually still in the past like six seven years still put out okay songs once in a while they don't have those top the bottoms all the right reasons or the long road album type of shit or even dark horses is pretty underrated album but damn they're pretty good and i don't care i know it's cool to just be like oh nickelback sucks this group sucks this it's like hey man if put like this i want you your favorite artist Click the best of their best, uh, typically on any Spotify, any stream playlist. Just find 20 songs that are so repeatable to yourself that you could play over and over again. And there's an attachment to it. And they're all also happen to be like top five, top 10 hits or top 50 hits will be generous. And that's where them and Drake also have a comparison. They got all the hits, boy. What? Yeah, they got all the hits. And when you got all the hits, a lot of people, they shame on the formula. Yeah, there's a formula to this shit. Artists find a formula. That doesn't mean they don't grow and change. And and look, I'm not a music expert on, oh, their guitar. It's all the same tabs and all this shit. People, you know, there was this one joke, and eh, I guess if you listen to enough Nickelback, you kind of get it. It's a joke like, you know, I, I respect the fact that Nickelback, they, they basically, they have a three-hour music sheet, and they find a way to write 30 different songs to the same lyric sheet and fill it in. It's like, eh, that's actually kind of an impressive, you know, joke, but it's... You know, it actually is like, okay, but it works. And I think people need, you know, part of music, we get caught up in, I think sometimes in music, we want to make it too romantic. And people always talk about the purity and beauty in music. And they talk about their favorite artists because they listen to a few artists that are quote unquote indie or independent. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Um, I'll take... I'll take it from the artist who had literally the most played song on radio. I looked at How You Remind Me was the most played song of the decade. The song came out in 2002, I believe. And from 2000 to 2010, it is the most played song on the radio. Because it was played on Star 94 and 96 Rock. And all these other other alternative because it was a universal. You could play it on here. It was safe for radio. Oh, Nickelback is soccer mom radio. It's like, I don't know if you've heard some music. That's uh, there's Some of their songs you probably shouldn't play in front of your like nine-year-old kids after you pick them up from ASP. But you probably do because they're not really listening. they just like, yeah. It's like, especially the song Animals. Your mom would be pissed if she could see the parts of you that I've been kissing, screaming. Oh, I'm sure the mothers love that. Because, you know, they're probably flashback to their youth. Like, yeah, I remember when he used to kiss me in spots. And my mother was pissed. So, yeah. Oh, the 80s. Beautiful thing. Oh, it was the 80s. It's like, all right. <laughs> um, one thing that's always universal and ageless and timeless Pissing off your parents, it will always be, pissing off your parents is something that will always be timeless and universal. But anyways, yeah, back to Nickelback. Um, I don't care what people say. Nickelback and Drake, a lot in common, Canadian. Number one selling, touring, 
They get hate from in their genre community and outside of it. They're mainstream. And they're just cool to hate on. And I also think... Also think really like the power of the internet blew up this Nickelback sucks type of shit. Because Drake Drake kind of started in the era of all this stuff. So like memes and shit like that were already kind of a thing. Social media was kind of a thing. But then once he like established himself, social media like blew up. So like there's the memes and you could tell like in music videos. Now you notice like artists, they play on with it. Like if you don't think that the uh, way too sexy with Drake Future and Young Thug. If you don't think that whole music video is literally just designed, especially with Kawhi Leonard being out of character, you know, being like quote animated for him. If you don't think that is made just for social media, if you think that's for artists, for the musical, it's like, no, that music video literally is just a fun short film parody you know, whatever the fuck. Drake is dressed up as like a six-year-old dude on a beach who eat, who drinks Bahama Mamas. And it's like, I don't even know what to do anymore. <laughs> and the same thing with like music videos that are like dances, like Hotline Bling. You know when he's doing that thing with his knee and hands. You know that's strictly just for memes. And, you know, I... Th- these music and everything are now so crafted and a lot of music is really crafted for lines and Instagram lines like Drake is the king of Instagram caption. You know, people call it caption rap where basically you make lines or buzz that girls will repost or even dudes will repost whatever the subject matter is. Um, Like Sam has one. I want to take you home, not just take you home tonight. That's like a that's like a good old southern old folks type of, I want to take you home, not just take you home tonight. It's like, oh, I see what you did there type of shit. It's like, yeah, that that's kind of what it is. But anyway, back to the room. By the way, fun fact, Nickelback, the uh, name actually came from when I believe Chad Kruger's brother worked at a mechanic shop, which he's in the band. I can't remember if he's the bassist. Yeah, he's the bassist. Uh, Mike Kruger, I believe, yeah, and he, uh, he worked at a mechanic shop, you know, this was before they made, you know, started really making music and shit like that, and he worked at a mechanic shop, and everything, all the prices were, um, all the prices were, like, 95 cents at the end, like, it would be 180 bucks for this repair and 95 cents, and, the, that's how the owner had it designed for whatever business purposes. I think he actually said it was like tag, whatever. So every time they cast someone out, the the joke would be, "Do you want your nickel back?" And that's how they came with the name. Um. So yeah, not the most interesting story, but I do find fascinating how people come up with names, um, for bands. I you know, but yeah, the Nickelback slander it, it's just idiotic. I think I think there's certain music that you don't have to like, but you got to universally accept like, oh, I can understand why a lot of people like this shit. And people just find ways to hate on shit just to hate on it. And you don't have to listen or like it. But if you can't understand why something's huge, like there's music today, I don't understand why it's huge and mainstream or even non-mainstream. And I listen to them like, I don't even want to say this is garbage, but I'll just be like, yeah, this ain't for me. 
this is definitely made for specific preteen TikTok type audience. Like I believe Olivia Rodrigo. People say like industry plants, quote unquote. People say like Olivia Rodrigo. Is she an industry plant? Probably. People say that about a Lil Nas X. Is he an industry plant? I don't know. Probably. But there's been a but just because you're industry plant, like you still have to put something out that appeals to a lot of people. You still have to be good over a period of time. And you could be a plant, but I could plant you all I want. If people don't keep coming back to water your plant, then you're just a dead plant. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like presentation. Presentation gets you in the door and it's the nice initial appeal. But over time, you got to grow like a plant and you got to bloom like a plant. So I don't know. Um, but Nickelback. Yeah, and I think most importantly, more than I judge anything, do they sound good live? Do they sound good acoustically? And them, especially back in the day before he had vocal surgery, which I think he still sounds pretty decent considering, but it's not like back in the day where he had the rasp and... Yeah. But, like, when you hear someone live and acoustic, I think whether you like the song or the lyrics, if you can just acknowledge, like, oh, this band sounds pretty damn close, sometimes even better than the recorded version, because you feel more of the pure emotion and brass of the lyrics. Because sometimes when you record music, producer may want to cut off something because it's just unnecessary, blah, blah, blah. But then when they play live, they kind of play like the real version emotionally and everything attached. And I think uh, I think when you hear Nickelback play live and acoustic, especially in the prime years type of shit, like, oh, this shit sounds really fucking good. And I think that's more of a barometer of whether you should respect a band or a musician. Do they sound good live? Do they sound decent live? You know, do they even sound relatively within 25% or 50, 30% of the recorded version? You know, I don't know. I just think Nickelback is honestly one of the most, I know you, they are, yeah, fuck it. They are the most underrated fucking artists slash group of the past 25 years. I'm not a big fan of numbers or everything, but goddamn, they have to mean something, or otherwise, what are we grading on? Because let me tell you about quote unquote critically acclaimed albums, critically acclaimed films, and this type of entertainment industry shit. You know what? Uh, I believe I've never seen The Big Lebowski, but when you look up the Rotten Tomatoes and the critic, I saw that it's like 88%, all these high ratings. And then you also look up, they made $5 million at the box office, and it took like $15 million to make, and it was a box office flop. Does that mean the film wasn't good? No. But there's a reason why a lot of people didn't go see it, but we talk, but you know, they talk about the Big Lebowski, like, I hear reference all the time, like, this is such a remarkable film. People say the same thing about, um, shit, what's that? You know, there's been plenty of films that were technically box office flops, but they aged to have type of the have this long lasting legacy type thing like arrested development tv 
like it has this such cult i guess it's like a cult following where it probably made more outside of the movie theater like dvds and blu-ray when that was a thing and now they're probably just trying to find streaming deals or whatever the fuck with companies but you know there's just i don't i, I you can have your 94 percent critic rating that's cool I'll take the one with 68% and profited $200 million. That's cool. And I, and I'm not someone where it's all, I like, I like, I like independent films. I like, you know, very low budget films. But what I'm saying is there's a reason why movie subjects make money and others don't. There's a reason why they will put the Avengers with they they could probably literally make the movie without a script and it's gonna make billions of dollars. They could literally not talk the whole movie and it'll be entertainment and people will enjoy it. You try making a marriage story that's about the dynamics of a divorce and kids and what it's really like, what goes in on both sides, a divorce process. And it's a real as fuck movie and it's really damn good and it really I think does well of getting in the weeds. It's a very precise you know, for the film, for script buffs like me who write them. Um, it's, you know, learning and breaking it down. You kind of study these things. It's fascinating. Wow, the intricacies, the detail, the time, the dude who had to do research to understand the process of all this shit. Like, there's a lot that goes into this shit. And, you know what? They put it on Netflix. Because, realistically, that's going to be a movie that people enjoy more in streaming. Because... No one's going to pay 12 bucks to see a fucking divorce movie for an hour and 52 minutes. Alright, I think it was actually probably two hours. Even though the movie, well acted, has Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, a lot of other great actors. And it's probably a little too real. It's probably really awkward for married couples who've been together a long time. Who have gone through ups and downs and shit. Like real ups and downs. And they see this movie and they're like, hey, you know, that could be us. And then the other person's like, it should be. And then that gets awkward. Um, but yeah, like certain, I, I think it's like there are certain subject matters that have a profit cap or that have a limit cap of what people want to see. I think they're like people say country music, just pure country music without the pop, the snapchats, the R&B influences, the stealing that's not really country with some artists these days and i'm guilty i like country music music that's not really considered country but it's classified as country pop country um whatever like i like that i also have gotten into some real decent country music but um there's but realistically the biggest songs the biggest stream songs the biggest sold albums and songs in quote unquote country music history are ones that are not quote-unquote pure traditional country albums. You know why? Because pure traditional country albums, as people want to sit here and hold on to things and don't want to accept change, even though Tim McGraw, by the way, was a trailblazer his time. Um, fucking, I believe George uh, George Strait was considered radical for his time. And I'm not a country, this is just my recent knowledge of kind of watching and seeing things like there were plenty of country artists that we look at today that like they're the Garth Brooks was considered whoa what is this guy, Kip Kip Moore he's not a highly selling 
Kit Moore's not the most highly sung country artist, but goddamn, he's unique as fuck. He's basically like arena rock country. He's basically like, he sounds like Bruce Springsteen. And I don't care for Bruce Springsteen, but you can't, well, I, know that, I, don't, I think Bruce Springsteen's technically considered rock. He's probably technically sold more than Nickelback, but you know, <laughs> you get still the bigger point about that. Um, there's, it's just, uh, need to understand, like, there's certain genres that have a cap. There's a reason why pop music, because it's so general, you almost don't even need instruments to actually make it, the instrumentals and shit. There's a reason, like, Dua Lipa, Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, fucking now Olivia Rodrigo, fucking, um, Billie Eilish, who, it's pop music. And it appeals the most because it has the most uh, easy to listen to without thinking the most. And typically the lyrics are pretty bubblegum. There's a reason why Taylor Swift is like, hey, I'm going pop because you know what? Honestly, my appeal can not only be much bigger. I can reach a bigger audience, make a shitload of fucking money. And if I want to do country music and do stripped down versions, I can. That's why Ed Sheeran has gone pop. He used to be like whatever singer, songwriter, acoustic you know, and white lips, pale face, breathing in straight face. That song about basically prostitutes. The A-team. Pastries. That song about pastries. Pastries. Um, and now he does song like, give me the shivers. And then I heard an acoustic version. Like, holy shit, the acoustic version is a million times better than these pop overdone production version. But hey. That's going to get on these fucking corporate radios. It's going to get on commercialized radio. It's going to get on actual radio. Because most people listen to the radio are people driving around with kids in their car. They're going to play with the kids to listen to. Alright? And for people that say like, oh, these, they're selling out. Hey, you know what's different about it than like the 70s and the 80s? 70s and the 80s. Like for rock music, there was like seven bands that people listened to, and there wasn't a streaming service. You had to go buy CDs. And if everyone said Def Leppard and Van Halen and White Snake and Poison and Guns N' Roses and Metallica, those were like the core six. And then you had a couple like fake ones, like fucking, you know, uh, trying to think off the top of my head, you know, fucking, uh, you know, Twisted Sister type of shit. Like, yeah, like, yeah, cool. But it was like, it was more of a monopoly, believe it or not, of actual music. Now it's less of a monopoly. And even the biggest artists, the middle artists are closer to them in terms of plays and streams than ever back in the day. Um, and I honestly think, where are they going? But yeah, there's certain genres, pop and now rock music is probably one of the lowest ones because there's no real new rock bands. Name the last fucking rock band. Like in the past like eight years. Like we had the grunge rock era where you had Bullet for My Valentine, Kill Switch Engage, Three Days Grace, uh, fucking Breaking Benjamin, Seether, uh, you know, I guess Evanescence had a couple songs. But you know what I'm talking about. Avenged Sevenfold. You know, you like you know the band. If you know, you know. You know, it's like if you know, you know. And now it's like I can't think of a single. And now I'm not really engaging that, but I'm pretty sure even the rock music they call grunge today, 
Then, oh yeah, also like My Chemical Romance, shit like that. Uh, nowadays, it's like, who are you, like, who are you, like, name a single group of the past five years, like, holy shit, dude, this band is taking over. There's no Nickelback today. What, you think 21 fucking pilots was gonna be Nickelback? Are you fucking kidding me? No disrespect to them. I'm not saying they don't have good music, or they don't have good songs, or that they can't play, but come on. Like, think, I don't think there's gonna be another Nickelback in rock music. Or grunge, whatever you want to classify most of their music as. There's not going to be another Nickelback with that many hits. Because they're not even going to get on radio. And what are you going to have? I Prevail, like who used to be a cover band. And he got big off doing the Taylor Swift Blank Space song. Hashtag a pop song. And nowadays it's, you know... I think really... I mean, hip-hop, hip-hop has really taken over everything. Hip-hop has incorporated pop. You have hip-hop artists featuring in pop songs, pop artists featuring in hip-hop songs, vice versa, blah, blah, blah. But it's taking over everything. Wow, this this podcast episode has turned into the Nickelback Music Podcast. Um, wow. But anyways, wrap this subject matter up because I don't like doing 30-minute subject matters, but goddamn, I need to get off my chest. Say it with your chest. We got to understand, like, for your genre purist, it's not happening. Like, you got to accept genre purity actually is going to be the downfall of your selling of genre. Machine Gun Kelly has, like, essentially the number one rock album of the past two years or the past year. And honestly, when you listen to it, like, yeah, it's basically like a ripoff of Blink-182 in some... 112, basically any group that has a number in it, and Green Day influence because literally Travis Barker was in it from Blink-182, so it basically sounds like, with some, you know, beat, with some hip-hop beats and shit, and like, the lyric tones and shit, it's pretty repetitive, but goddamn, that shit's catchy, there's a lot of catchy songs on that shit, and that's what it's about, um, yeah, Nickelback, Give them the respect they fucking deserve. How hard is that? Yeah, okay. Let me uh take a sip. Alright, you know what? Let's get to the ad read. Okay. Our sponsor today is Sony. Wow, Sony. Sony, the multimedia media company that serves your every need. Whether it's loudspeakers, cameras, uh, equipment to make any podcasting or any videos, we got your back. Sony is notorious for being one for being the biggest multimedia technology company with many other ventures. Now, Sony has a recent uh, has a recent hunger fund you could donate to. Um, Sony, if you go to the website, they're donating to a hunger fund over in Zimbabwe. Wow, that's very specific. But yeah, if you donate to Zimbabwe, you donate $5 or more, they will send, they, you can build up basically like reward points and you can use those reward points on any Sony product at any place 
basically like if you go to Best Buy, buy online Amazon, any big corporation where you could prove to Sony that you purchased one of their shit, build reward points and get some of the money reimbursed. And uh, five, five or 10% of the proceeds that you put towards the product that you buy will also contribute to the fund as well. So basically, I mean, you know, care about hunger, buy a $1,200 camera. Um, that's what solve it. <laughs> Instead of just donating to the fucking cause, hey, why don't you buy one of our multi-thousand dollar products and we'll use, I don't know, 50 of those dollars to donate to these kids when we could just write a big-ass check from the jump and jump through all these loopholes. Never understood that. I, I'm terrible at backing up my sponsors here. But you know what? They're they're paying they're paying you guys more back than fucking me. So I don't give a fuck. It's always weird. But yeah, it always is weird to me when you go to these uh places like restaurants and targets and retail stores like do you want to donate dollars? It's like why do you need a customer to donate something that you can just use a percentage of all the money you make this year from the eighteen like the a hundred billion dollars you're gonna make from us people, you know what, why don't you just write a $5 million check, instead of having everyone donate an extra dollar they have to go through your phone, when you probably get like 50% of that fund anyways, it's like you're you're the middleman of the scam, of the scam, when you guys could just donate it secretly, or you can make it public, look at us, hold this big ass check like a lottery thing, and we're donating X amount to the Zimbabwe fund, but no, you're like, hey, we need an extra dollar from you that is completely separate from this purchase. Because, you know, the taxes and the fucking cost of the shit that's ramped up a little bit so we can make a profit. Can we make a little bit more of a profit so we can feed these kids in Zimbabwe? You know what? If you care about the kids in Zimbabwe, 20% of your products in the store wouldn't be there. So, but yeah, donate to the Zimbabwe fund. And uh, love Sony. I have a Sony camera. Now I wonder if they're gonna break in and like repossess it because I, I kind of shit on this whole donation operation. It's a donation operation. I'm playing operation, and yeah, sponsor Sony. Anyways, back to the show. Yeah, the game operation. That's always kind of like that's a weird kids game when you think about it. Like you know you uh. You know, you, you have, like, the board game. You have the little, like, uh, what do they call it? Like, it, it basically looks like Pez's, the Pez dispenser. But, like, the little Pez pieces you put in there, the little parts are like, hey, you got to put this fucking needle in here to pick up this thing without buzzing the metal sides. It's like, what does that really teach? Is it, like, has it, does a kid play Operation like, I want to be a doctor? It's like, I mean, I don't know, maybe. I mean, there's... You know, if like a nine-year-old plays Madden, they're probably like, hey, I want to be Calvin Johnson. And then you draft the lines and you're like, I don't want to be the Calvin Johnson. <laughs> um, but it's a, Operation is such a weird game. First of all, you could arguably say it's like training the human body to be ready to be tased. Like think about it, like, it's almost like training you to like, hey. Uh, like, a cop, if they're chasing you, will probably tase the fuck out of you. And this is a little training of, like, eight, nine years old, kind of like MMA. Like, the, 
you actually train your legs for leg kicks and shin kicks by kicking such a young age over and over, breaking your shins, like breaking in the shins, which you would probably end up breaking your shins. If you ever hear like what these MMA fighters do that do these all these leg kicks, they train their legs to basically become ironclad to where their shins are literally built for this shit. Where like me and you, if I kick you if I kick you in your thigh like ten times, my leg is probably going Chris Weidman or Anderson Silva. No in between. Like after 10 kicks, there's a max out. I'm going to fracture and kill. Like, these dudes are kicking, like, wood chip boards to train for this shit. Like, I, I learned that from Steven Wonderboard Thompson. I believe it was on Joe Rogan's show. Like, yeah, dude. Like, I was kicking, like, 14, 15 years old. Just, my dad would have me kick this fucking 4x4. Four four, and, you know, you just deal with the splinters and you become used to it like anything. And your body, be, your skin becomes rougher to it. It doesn't bleed as easy becomes scab, you know, whatever, but yeah, it's like every time, like, you make a slight mistake, or maybe it's like a deeper message in microcosm of life, like, the slightest bit of fuck up, brah, your life's fucked, it's like, ah, it's like, oh, just a bit outside, um, it's like, I don't know, operation is such a, you know, it's kind of weird, like, would that be a game, that do they even really make board games anymore like actively i don't know i don't go to the store and look go to the board game section and be like ooh, what do they have now it's like eh, it's not many solo board games these days um but operation well i guess operation is kind of a solo game but yeah um you gotta keep it operating hey but i don't know operation seems like a little bit above a childish game like, I don't think it's normal for the body to get used to buzz. If you get my drift. But yeah, I should probably stop talking about that. Anyways. Oh, Jesus. Uh, keep it going down the hill. Let me drink my coffee. Uh. Uh. You know what's interesting? Um, I'm going to talk about just a generic topic that I was saying about earlier. Uh, do I want to talk about that? Not really. But fuck it. Um, what do you think has a bigger impact on... Uh, advantage or privilege I honestly think economic privilege I think has a bigger get in the gate effect than race um do I think race obviously there's factors of it obviously there's examples and shit like that but I honestly think economic privilege can do a whole lot more for you than race privilege. Do I think white privilege exists? Yes. Um, I think there's varying levels to it, though. I don't think just autonomously every white person on this earth is just going to be given the benefit of the doubt. I think there's a lot of things that factor in you getting the benefit of the doubt. If I go to prison and me and the Duke lacrosse player, for example, we commit the same crime, right? 
I'm probably going to be stuck in jail because Bella is $10,000 and realistically paying $10,000 to get put out of jail just to be back in court in three months and probably convicted of the crime that you were put in jail to begin with and spending more money. Um, probably not. Probably not realistic in my case, but if you have a Duke lacrosse player who's, you know, family has, you know, a $10 million net worth, her dad's a hedge fund, mom's a physician, like, that $10,000 like, hey, we're going to get you out, come home, we're going to have our chef make some food, we're going to figure this out, we're going to hire a good lawyer, type of shit. We're both white, we both committed the same crime, but chances are, I'm probably going to be sitting in a jail cell, and he's probably going to be at home, um, watching Matlock, trying to study, and... It's an example of, I believe, and by the way, I, I'm not, I, I'll tell you, I used, I used to hate in school, and look, it's kids, so I'm not, like, it's dumb the whole kids do a standard, but I, even at the time, I, I would just roll my eyes at kids, I would be like, oh, like, when they would talk to, when they would, their insult to a kid be like, oh, your parents are rich, that's why you have these, and then, they'd be like, yeah. Yeah, you know what? My my parents do have money. I'm not going to apologize. I have three pairs of sneakers. All right? Not my problem, bud. It's It, it used to be... The, it's kind of weird how, like, back in... You know, back in the day, it used to be a brag. It used to be a... It used to be a stipulation. Uh, stipulation, not the correct term. What a fucking idiot I am. It, it basically... It used to be a badge of honor of how poor you are. And you should never be ashamed of you being poor or not rich or just lower middle class, whatever the hell. But there's shit on someone who family has money. And as long as I not go around talking about how poor you are compared to their dad's golf clubs. My dad's golf clubs cost more than your monthly mortgage. It's like, yeah. And, you know, your dad also beats the fuck out of your mom with it. Um, so, you know, talk about Adam Driver. <laughs> That's a pretty fucked up domestic violence joke, but hey, go Alvin Kamara. Um, <laughs> it wasn't domestic, but he beat the fuck out of that dude. Whew. One of five years, supposedly, he might get. He'll probably get like, I think he'll probably get like six months and like some probation. Be out in three, you know. Again, I don't know. But yeah, um. I've always found that argument weird. And now when you get older, no one's going around bragging about how poor they are. Now everyone wants to flex about how not poor they are, even if they are, you know, flexing. Um, And it's this weird, it's like this weird evolution where it's as you're a kid, you're shamed for being rich. But as you get older, you're shamed for being poor. And obviously this is an example of a worldview from a multitude public school because chances are if you're in a if you're in a private school, chances are most of y'all's parents are well off. And if you're in a very low income inner city, whatever term you want to use, you know, desolate town, chances are all your parents are on this pretty similar level. Or if you're in a public school where it's pretty wide range, a lot of students 
um, you're going to have a lot of economic classes. You're going to have people who live in million-dollar houses, and you're going to have kids that live in trailer parks with their cousin. And they have a job at the age of 15, you know? Like, that's just, it's not fair, but, you know, that's just the hand they're dealt. And like anything, typically it makes you stronger. You have to go through more. And there's a climb, but, you know, it's possible. You you have, there's a chance. But I'll tell you one thing that's universal and no one cares what race you are. Um, if you're poor and you're unskilled and you are, and you have nothing to offer, that pretty much transcends across all race. Now, I think the thing where the race aspect could kind of, I probably shouldn't talk about this shit, but fuck it. I think it's, I think it's just something I've been recently kind of thinking about because I think when you hear people talk about uh, white privilege and, uh, Jesus, I don't know if that picked that up. Good thing this mic isn't too loud, like a boom mic, because it would have picked up the boom out of my booty hole. Um, <laughs> whew, that doesn't smell good. Uh, kind of like this take. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I believe the biggest advantage you could have is actually economic privilege. And... I don't think anyone should be shitted for having an advantage. Like, I'm not going to shit on someone for their dad or parents having connections to things. Like, it's like, all right, you know what? You have all the connections. You could be, here's the thing you learn, and I think Donald Trump Jr. is a great example, is that you could be the son, you could be the most incompetent motherfucker. You're dumb at what you talk about. You are... Just, you have all these issues, you have a real weird history, you do a lot of drugs, specifically blow him and Hunter Biden. Um, And you're most incompetent people, but your parents have been the last two presidents. It just goes to show, now, but they both technically hold, I don't know exactly, but Donald Trump Jr., without the name Donald Trump Jr., he's he's appeared on podcasts with like millions of views. He's appeared on big podcasts with Mark Marin. They've appeared on various outlets. They get attention. They make money because of their name. Now, if his name was Carl Sanders Jr., yeah, probably not. And he was the same level of incompetence, uns- whatever the fuck. No one would give a fuck what they have to say. But hey, having that name... It gets you in some doors, but you know what happens when you get in that door? People realize, wow, you're a fucking idiot. And I think that's kind of like a grander thing in general. Like, stop. You know what? People can have all the advantages in the world. Economically and everything. And they can be given opportunities ahead of you. Regardless of what that may entail. You could go to college, not get an internship. Someone that you know is not as good as their job as you, and they get an opportunity. But you know what? If they suck at what they do, they're not going to stay there because typically at that point, when it's a big, serious company, it's like, hey, man, there's money online. I gave, I, I gave you this opportunity, and you're not doing decent at it. And I think it's just people keep in mind is that presentation and shit like that, it could get you in the door. 
by the end of the day, you either can do it or you can't. And you know what? There's going to be people that hold positions, that hold position because of who they know. They have good relationships with people, sucking someone's dick, literally or figuratively. And they just have a good rapport. Hey, you know what? That's just kind of life in a nutshell. But you kind of have a choice to either go seek opportunities somewhere else and realize this is not where the opportunity is going to happen. and Or you can stay in that position and constantly complain about, oh, he's a rich kid. He's got this, his dad, his mom's this. He's got all these connections. It's like... Yeah, and you know that, and you stayed in it because you would rather kind of play this victim mentality than try to overcome it and seek an opportunity somewhere else. Because if you're that confident in your ability of what you are and how good you are, it will translate to most places. Now, I understand just going somewhere doesn't guarantee you a better opportunity, but I guarantee if you stay wherever that is, where you feel the privilege is ahead of you, that's not getting you anywhere closer either. And economic, you know, and to me, economic privilege is a bigger advantage because, hey man, I, I think as you get older, you realize what it means. I was always told growing up, this isn't a brand new saying, but money talks, shit walks. And that one, everyone has a price. Not that that's relative to this point specifically, but one, everyone has a price for something. I don't care what you say. You can have your artist's integrity. But you know what? If you if you make an album, right? And your record company comes to you and be like, Hey, can you just cut this one song out of the album? But it's your favorite song. It is your most personal song. And they say, Hey, if you cut that song out, we'll pay you $5 million. Guess what you're doing? You're cutting that song and be like, what song? I'm gonna be that song to get you high and make me a lot of fucking money on my next album. <laughs> but yeah, um, I I just think it's um, you know, I gotta wrap it up because you know the camera battery's gonna fall out soon. Uh, but to me, one thing that's universal is if you have money, you're gonna have access to things, and that's why they stress to you. Why it's important to have a good paying job or to make money. Money isn't everything. Money doesn't make you a better person. doesn't make you better integrity. People argue it makes you more of who you are. If you're a shitty person without money, you're going to be shitty with it. And if you're good without money, chances are you're probably going to do good with it. Or you're going to be smart about it. Whatever. You know, whatever. But I just don't get when, you know, me personally, I don't get when people shit on other people for having structure and better advantages and family structure type of thing you know it's like yeah you know what it's it's the reality of life people some people always have advantages and sometimes you can either bitch about those advantages or create your own advantage and do something about it and you know that's just kind of my thoughts on um, economic, you know, I, I really, and I don't have studies in front of me. This is just my observation, like anything on here. I don't do studies really. Sometimes I'll see studies and make comments on it and like, eh, I don't know about that. But to me, one thing that's universal is if you have money, cause if you have money, 
you can send dumbass kids to college and maybe in college they can figure it out and maybe they get a degree and it shows the world that they know something, right? And, you know, money can do a lot for you. And this is coming from someone with not really a lot of it right now, <laughs> you know. But I've had I've had an okay, not like crazy, but I've had money before enough where it's like, hey, I don't even have to work for a while. And sometimes it can make you a little bit complacent, even if you shouldn't be, because it's not a whole lot. But for you, it's like, holy fuck. Um, it's just, uh, you know, when you, when you have, when you can afford, you know, just things that a lot of people stress over. It brings a rain of relief on you. But at the same time, me not having money, it's also brought a rain of relief in the fact that I can only focus on what I can control. I can only focus on what the day ahead. I can only focus on what I work on. Luckily, what I work on is my passion. doesn't cost really any money except my time. And I have to make time for that. But that's anyone. You got to make time for shit that matters to you. And what you view as a potential output of a living one day. But. You know. There's someone out. But like in what I do. I, I, I'm I I'm writing screenplays or scripts. Whatever you want to call it. Chances are. There's going to be. There's going to be. There's going to be kids of screenwriters. They're going to get first, second, third, fourth, and fifth looks before I even get mine looked at by someone. And I can sit here and say the business is unfair and all that. And you know what? Part of that's kind of fucked up. But you know what? They get first dibs, but that doesn't mean their shit's good. They may even get theirs made, and mine may take four or five years to even get in pre-production. But if my shit's good, it's going to stand the test of time. And if their shit sucks, everyone's going to know it sucks. So the problem is when you appoint people before they're ready or if they're just not qualified or that good at it, you, you're you actually exposing the problem with you know, uh, your view of giving someone the title they're not ready to handle. And that's why I think economic privilege and that's just more like, like they have connections. They know a guy. They know a guy who's... Uh, a suit at Warner Bros. They're going to get first dibs looked at. And they may be honest to them. And they may not be. They may get it made because their dad wrote them a film. That's their best selling film in the past decade. And that's the way it goes. Chances are when you interview for your job. If the boss's friend's son applies for that job. There's a reason why connections matter. You know we don't complain about connections. When you have a family member that knows a guy. That gets you a job that pays you a couple extra dollars more out than what you're working. And they get you a job without really doing an interview. Because they know a guy and they put in a word for you. No one complains about that. No one complains when you benefit from the quote-unquote privilege. So, um, I think it's just life. You gotta understand what... People probably going to have advantages that you don't have, but they don't have to be your disadvantage forever. You can try to overcome that and one day make it your advantage. 
And then what are you going to do? You're going to be that dude like, I'm going to make my kids just struggle no matter what. It's like, I'm not going to just give my kids anything, but goddamn, if I can give them a connection to something and they're putting in the work, you goddamn, I'm going to give them a connection. Are you fucking crazy? Funny is everything that a lot of people complain about with uh, people be given jobs and economic privilege type of shit, they're the same things they would do. You wouldn't give your kid a better opportunity or better gateway into a career because they still have to put in the work for long term. But you know what? We've all got our biases and we all got our privileges. And it's okay to acknowledge that and it's okay to take advantage of it. I guess that's all I got to say. This is the longest pod I've done in a while. All right. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. This was episode 110 of the Off Beat Podcast. And suck some titties. And we out. Ah, oh, Jesus. This fucking microphone shit. Shit's, shit's looser than a dangling clip.